Hi, everyone. Um, this is an older interview I did a few months ago during uh, more of the pandemic. Um, it's with Zachary Smith, who's a Zen priest in San Francisco. Uh, when I used to live in California, I used to sit Zen with him in Telegraph Hill. Um, we reconnected over the phone and really explored everything from Zen to Vipassana to psychedelics to parenting to COVID to balancing um, the practice of Buddhism with a Western perspective. Um, I think it's a great, really fun, long forum interview about uh, things that I'm interested in. Um, I hope you find it interesting too. And there you go. Thanks a lot. Um, maybe that's my first question then, Zach. I, I was going to ask this later, but what does a Zen Buddhist, um, what's the right political view for a Zen Buddhist? Mm, that that's, a really, that's a really difficult one. Yeah. I mean, I, I, would, thoughts. Say, I would say, yeah, I would say this, like the, you know, Zen is a, is a Mahayana Buddhist school and, uh, the the Bodhisattva vow, which is the centerpiece of Mahayana Buddhism, uh, says that even though the you know delusions are inexhaustible and um, everything is a dharma gate and you can't do it, you can't humanly step through all of them, and um, and the the Buddha way is either unattainable or unsurpassable, depending on how you translate it. Um, uh, you know, I vow to um, to essentially, you know, you know, like accord with all the procedures and rituals and do all good. Avoid actions that have negative karmic consequences. And um, and do it all in in a in complete acknowledgement and and participation in the, the the mutuality and interdependence of all people, right? So that actually starts to sound like a like a political stance, right? Um, it's the main thing is is we all do this together and we all try and wake up together and if you find yourself behaving in a way that doesn't support that then um then stand back for a second and and do another and give it another try basically does that does that make sense yeah i think so i mean you're kind of i i asked because i was thinking about the eightfold path and the concept of the right view and sometimes I think about when I was sitting in San Francisco, especially after Trump, it felt like every Dharma talk became a kind of diagnosis of uh, <laughs> the Sangha's reactions to Trump. And then I started yeah. thinking, I wonder if you can be, if you actually start thinking about Asian forms of Buddhism and the Bay Area form yeah. of Buddhism, they have different kind of political leanings. I just wondered how people think about that sometimes. Or yeah, no, I agree. So, I mean, I would say that, I would say that, you know, I think the history of that is complicated, right? So, um, and, and some of the complicated history goes back to 
the Meiji Restoration, right? So during the Meiji Restoration, famously, there was a whole division of the government that was going, that was um, initially planning on on purging the country of of Buddhism, right? It was they were going to uh, they were, were going to establish um, our Shinto as a as a state religion and 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 suppress and deprecate Buddhism. And after a while, they're like, yeah, it's okay. You can still be you can still be here." Um, you need to make these changes, though, um, into how you work, and and they they impose a number of interesting things, like for example, um, uh, temples had to be passed down um, from father to son in a hereditary manner, except for certain training temples and so on, and 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 so on. But what it did was it it implanted a sort of big Householder class with subtly different interests in the middle of of the of the of the Buddhist hierarchy in Japan, and it had a huge effect on, first of all, the the amount of activism that um, that Zen Buddhists were interested in engaging in, and second of all, the kind of the political leanings of the of, of Zen as a whole, and so you. The standard story you hear in um, in Japan, not everywhere, but I think a lot of places, is now you should just be um, you should just be practicing and also being a resource to your community in the way that that uh, Zen priests have been a resource to their community, you know for a pretty long time, right? So, you know, they're famously roughly 25,000 Soto Zen temples in Japan, all the vast majority of which are these, uh, you know, village, outer regional temples where where the, the priest has a very particular form of engagement with the community. And 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 everyone, the, the standard story is you do that. Right, I think I think in the U.S., um, you know, it, you still have to think about your political engagement in terms of the Bodhisattva vow. But um, I think a, a substantially wider range of engagements are possible. Right. So if you talk to priests at Zen Center, some of them are doing, um, you know, kind of during the Trump administration, doing activist um, engagement on the board with the immigrants, right? And uh, that's how I, right? so the the counterweight to that is that um, it's pretty important not to be doctrinaire or absolutist about politics as a Buddhist because the again as in Mahayana Buddhism the basic axiom is that all of the the concepts 
categories and so on that with which we structure our thinking in our lives are are provisional and um, and conditioned, right? And so, if if you find yourself getting deeply attached to a particular conceptual framework for looking at politics, that's probably worth looking at, right? And and the and and in particular, when somebody comes to you to to meet, right? Um, honestly, your the re, the request of practice is to meet that person completely, regardless of who they say they are or who you say they are. Um, so that's a slightly longer longer answer. And you're right. I mean, I think um, the there was a tremendous amount of uh, essentially agonizing, at least at San Francisco, about the election, of, uh, the unexpected election of Donald Trump, right? And and some people managed to preface their 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 agonized Dharma talks with, you know, I don't want to offend anybody here. And then some people did. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, talking, Zach, about doctrine, maybe why did you select Zotozen then? Well, I, I selected Soto Zen for a pr very particular reason, and that was that my mom selected Soto Zen, and I'm sort of a, I'm, I'm sort of a, you know, second generation convert Buddhist, right? Um, my mom was a Zen student in the, in the 60s and 70s, and studied a little with Suzuki Roshi, but mostly with Bill Kwong, um, who, up until recently, was the head of Sonoma Mountain Zen Center. But when I was a kid, he ran a large group in Mill Valley, basically. And so we would, my mom would drag me over there, and I would um, uh, Bill Kwong would go around with the with the stick, and he would he would come up to me, and instead of whacking me on the shoulder, he would. You could hear him breathe a sigh, like, oh. And then he would put the stick up against my back and pull my shoulders up against it and straighten me up and then go walk around the room and visit a few other people. And then he'd come back and you could hear him sigh again. And he would go, oh. And then he would do it again. <laughs> so um, that, that's why. I mean, the, the story after that is I kind of put it down for about 20 years. And... Um, and then at one point, I was looking at my life, and I made I made a bulleted list that that included the, what I thought of as the parameters of my life. And I looked at it and I thought that is the ideal life for me. And then I I examined my experience of living that life, and I realized that um, I wasn't liking it very much. It was full of what you know the Buddhists call suffering, and and furthermore, I was being a jerk to pretty much everybody I cared about. I thought, well, all of that is bad, and I I will I will now fix it. And the um, the place I will fix it is is um, 
San Francisco Zen Center. And of course, I went off and I jumped into that, and none of the things that I thought were going to happen happened uh, in any of the ways that I thought they were going to happen. But after almost 30 years of that, um, the world feels like it's like a radically different place. Internally, so that's why I picked that like that. Sorry, what feels radically different internally or externally or both? Or well, it's yeah, it's that's an interesting point. So um, I would say yes to both. Um, what feels radically different from from the At least internal standpoint? Right? No, no, keep going. Yes, sorry, sorry, to interrupt. Yeah, and that's okay. What what feels radically different from the internal standpoint is that um, just my my everyday experience of of living that life, which is very different now. I mean, when I was looking at my life back in in the early '90s, I was you know playing in rock bands for a living and uh, had this really sort of I would say pretty frenetic um, but but arty life um, and. Um, you know, now I'm, I have, uh, I'm living with, with Marsha and our two kids and I have, I actually have a couple of kids from previous relationships and I, I, yeah, I, I went back to work after a while in the, in the tech bit, but I'm not even doing that anymore. I'm, I'm working primarily really only as a as a as a zen priest and and that's kind of it so it's a very different life but but the the difference doesn't have to deal with the particulars so much as it has to do with the experience of being in the middle of it and the experience of being in the middle of it is is so different that that it would be hard to say exactly why it's just that The baseline, the emotional baseline of the mind of practice is a kind of unconditioned appreciation that's indistinguishable from love. And that's kind of what it feels like a lot of the time. It's not like I don't ever, um, you know, uh, lose track of that, but, but that's the, um, that's the baseline. And then in terms of the external world, you know, I don't I don't know how much the external world has changed, but but my my perceptions of it have, have changed sufficiently that um I'm pretty sure I didn't I didn't know <laughs> back in the day what was going on in, in the external world. And um I'm not sure if I know a lot better now, but um but I, I certainly things did radically different than it was. Like the thing the things that I thought were motivating people, the things that I thought um that, that I assumed people thought were important or that I thought I observed people attending to the, um, the, 
you know, et cetera. <laughs> all of all of it, right? Um, the, the the drivers for uh, for for culture and how they were um, on a day to day basis. All of those things feel um, really different to me now. And since they probably haven't changed that much, it's um, it's just that my perception of it's radically different. So, Zach, then, do you find your Zen practice to be maybe an ethical system, a philosophy, a religion, all three? I mean, what is... Yeah. yeah. Well, here's, here's what I would say. Um, yes, then, if it, it contains a, a kind of large-scale philosophical system and conceptual space. Um a lot of which is inherited from the Pali Canon, some of which is inherited from the Mahayana um, Sutras, and some of which is is inherited in a way more elliptical way from the from the traditional literature, most of which was written down in the Long Dynasty, and some parts of which were written in the Tang Dynasty. Right, um, so. And then, so there have been additions to that um, uh, from other parts of the Zen world, Japan, notably, as I said, the Sotra tradition, right? Um, so it has that. It's also got, it's got an ethics, which, again, is mostly the ethics of Mahayana. Right? Um, the thing that the thing that that it has that makes it more of a of a religion, um, as opposed to just a philosophical and ethical system, is that it increasingly come to see that it emphasizes devotion, right? Um, the, like. When you when you do monastic practice and then it's it's not at all uncommon to find people asking, Hey, why are we doing this stuff? Right? Like why are we eating in this really particular way? Why are we sitting and what why are we pick why do we pick this particular meditation posture? Why do you step over the threshold to the to the Zendo or or the Buddha Hall with the um, with the with the foot that's nearest the doorpost and everything else, right? And the standard answer to that is that it's it's a it's a it's a set of forms that buttress and and contribute to mindful engagement, right? But, and that's true, but it goes, but it actually goes deeper than that. The, the, all of those forms, including Zazen, are fundamentally devotional activities, right? You just do them because it's the request that you've been, um, that you've been given, right? And, 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 uh, you do them wholeheartedly and without struggle, right? 
And if you can do that, there's a kind of freedom that arises out of that diversion, right? Um, and and also it 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 points up the way in which we struggle with freedom, right? Um, we we if you go to a, if you go to this is true, I think, in monasteries the world over. But certainly, if you go to a, a Western Zen monastery, what you discover is that people people have this kind of um, uh, more or less. Some people are more ambivalent. Some are people are less ambivalent. But they have this sort of ambivalent relationship with the with the formal devotional process of Zen, right? And and they 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 express that ambivalence almost completely in, in subtle ways in which they try to rake back control from the schedule, from the from the you know the formal practice, from the you know the the request that they receive to do you know this activity in a particular way and so on, and and that's the that's the dynamic of of formal practice generally is that you know it show it shows you the way in which the self asserts itself and self narration um, uh, uh, you know is constantly coming up and constantly driving activity and it also shows the way that lurking right on the edge of that is it's this other mode of engagement that offers a kind of freedom from all of that that um, is, it, first of all, it's beneficial, right? And second of all, it works in a way that goes beyond simple benefit. It's kind of transformative, right? Um, so, so that's what I would say. It's, it's, it's all of those. It's a, it's a religion. It's a philosophy. It's an ethical system, right? Um, you know, you know, Zach. In my own practice, now that I'm sitting more at the Diamond uh, Sangha here in Hawaii, um, I'm sitting every morning or twice a week at 6 a.m. with the people who live there, yeah. which is nice. And nice. the first time I had some challenges with the salutations that we do at the end of the sit, but then I spoke to the monk, and he said, instead of thinking of them as an external, think of it as a salutation to the internal Buddha nature. And I felt like that was such yeah. a good way to frame it instead of, you know, some people have problems with like an external God or I thought this was a nice yeah. way that they framed it. So I actually kind of like the ritual yeah. aspect now, but I can see how it can yeah. be off-putting, especially to Western kind of individualism. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it, I think it is something to get over. And I, I experienced some of that as well, particularly early on. Right. Um, the, the, you know, particularly if you're, when you go to Tathahara, the services are really long, <laughs> and and they're and and after them comes um, uh, a short work period and then breakfast. And so by by about midway through the the service, I was getting up at three thirty, and you know, service was finishing up around. I don't know, like seven thirty or something like that. And I was, by the time I was First of all, I'm a fainting from hunger and and um, anoxia from chanting so vigorously, and and I was like, oh, wait a second, what did I sign up for? But but in the end, 
that's right. It's the the once you find a way to frame it that allows it to to kind of take root, it's good. Like I remember um Aiken Roshi there's a famous uh, story that he tells about how kind of somebody was objecting to to the um to the externalities that were referenced in the ceremony and they were going, What is this? Are we are we talking about some sort of, you know, God figure or something like that here and here? And he says, I walked to the window, I pulled back the curtain and there was there was, you know, the mountain. And he said, What about that? <laughs> So, so that also is that also is a way to think of it too. It's like just the the, the unbelievable power and and glory of the natural world that that you know gave birth to us, basically. Um, so there's another way to look at it. But yes, absolutely, the the good nature within the the good in nature that we share with everybody because we're all, let's be clear, um, uh, all of our minds are made up out, out of the minds of others. The things that people said to us, the, the behaviors that they demonstrated for us and so on and so forth, all of that. Um, it, it's a, it's a um, we're a colony, right? <laughs> So, so you, that, can, you can you can going yeah go ahead going in that line and not to proselytize but in the West there's the trend of kind of mindfulness and kind of mm-hmm. you know self help meditation you know apps calm yeah. and all that why would you encourage someone to actually develop a deeper practice in a kind of a religious setting like a Zen temple or a even you know a, meditate you know vietnamese kind of practice any of the zen or buddhist lineages what would that offer to them instead of just i'm curious what you think yeah it's 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 a really good question i mean there there is a lot of about how that works right so people um you know there was a time when people could really just couldn't stop writing about like famously in in the during the Tang Dynasty, the um, the five ranks, for example, Tozan's five ranks. But there, there's a lot of other, ones, you know, um, silent illumination, all those things that that talk about the way in which practice generates its own kind of plate tectonics, and over time, the your um, your your mind and body shift in this way that goes that goes beyond help and benefit into some kind of, you know, like I was saying at the beginning, kind of transformation of what it actually is like to be in the world as a, as a living human, right? Which is, which is awesome. Right. Um, but, but the, 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 the benefits of mindfulness are nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> um, if, if you can, um, if you can discover a way to, uh, to um, to stay close to what's important, to uh, to to act um, uh, flexibly and and skillfully in in the middle of the you know unquestionably difficult um, 
you know, social and business world that we currently inhabit, and why not, right? So I think all of that's okay. But but I would say I would say that the 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 practice as a whole done in the done in the way that um that is recommended by any number of 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 Buddhist schools, but certainly the Zen school offers uh something that goes beyond that. Um uh and it's just a matter of engaging it and giving it time to work and also engaging it in a way that um that doesn't um that doesn't run entirely on expectation. And that's that's the other objection that, that people have about um uh secular mindfulness is that it puts in place a, a set of expectations which um in some ways are a barrier to that deeper 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 development. The the um the only answer I'd, I have to that is, if you read all the literature, it's full of aspirational pointers, right? So, so everybody is trying to plant some kind of aspiration, right? Um, and having an aspiration to be a, you know, a more effective engineer or something like that is is not bad, um, but it, it's it's good to it, it's good to have a system in place whereby those aspirations get um you know um, not sure exactly what the right word is you know you're where you're where you're asked to check them out on a regular basis because they can also stand in your way right you could you can easily find yourself sitting there going why are my aspirations not being fulfilled (laughs) um and uh and find find that your practice is a source of frustration and disappointment rather than um, letting it run on its own core. You know, it's interesting, Zach, when you talk about uh, aspirations, you know, I've been doing, I feel like I started with meditation with Vipassana, doing a Goenka, you know, and they have kind of a formula that they go through. And the Zen practice kind of just emphasizes the physicality of it, and they don't emphasize any anchors. So for me, it's kind of re-exploring meditation without the anchor. But then I've been doing right. a lot of reading about Zen, and I guess sometimes even in Japan, they still practice Vipassana, even in a Zen frame. So I'm just curious what your thoughts of anchoring and anchorless and, uh, you know. The- yeah. Well, I, so um, I think everybody <laughs> that, that practices um meditation in a in a serious way for an extended period of time comes up with a either comes up with or receives from their their teacher a um a collection of of skillful techniques that that allow them to work with their own particular cycle of attention and and thought, right? I, it, you know, it, it's easy to say, oh, you know, Shikantaza is just sitting, right? Yes, that's true. But everybody, I think, has the experience of, um, of, of wanting and, um, benefiting from 
in in, in the in the pursuit of shikantaza, right? Um, a some some technique. So you know, I mean, famously in the um, in the Rinzai school, the techniques mostly involve practicing with koans, right? Great, that's awesome. In the in the if you if you look around the Soto school, you start to see places where people have suggested um, uh, other you know just very specific physical um, techniques around. Um, uh, say how, what you do with the breath, what you do with the gaze, um, uh, what you what you do with your um, with the you know, the input from your auditory sense and and so on. It's I I think it's I think that's inevitable, right? I think you people people want and benefit from an anchor, and then and and want want and benefit from an invitation to right effort, right? And the the and what happens after that is that right effort is the effort that that naturally tails out to no effort as the mind settles and and the body aligns itself, right? So and the, and at some point then the effort there's there's no effort and it's just Sitting, and that's fine. But, but the, but the, um, but the, it's you know, there might be this idea that somehow, no, you know, no effort is best, and 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 sitting with a, with an anchor or with a with with a, um, a particular set of physical practices or something like that is. Is not as good. No, that's that's incorrect. Right? That's even sort of heretical. Right? The sitting is is you know, shikantaza is actually completely doing what you're doing now. And if that if that involves a particular breath practice with them or something like that, then so be it. Right? That's okay. Um, anyway, that's what I'd say. Uh, talking about anchors, does Soto have any esoteric kind of practices? I'm just curious. Yes. Some of the Tibetan schools are like very kind of mystical esoteric. I'm just curious about the Soto Zen, if they have any of those. I, it, it, so, the, you know, the reason I mentioned, um, there are a lot more, there are a lot less, you know, um, Fancy or something like that. Like the the kind of things you hear are there's a, there's a there's a guideline for the gaze that's called um, gazing at distant mountains. Have you heard this? No, I haven't. Yeah the the idea is that you when when you once you settle, you let your gaze settle such that your your peripheral vision is as wide as it possibly can be. And the, the 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 visual, you know, you, your your eyes are not wide, wide, squeaking open, but kind of relaxed and downcast. But with the relaxed and downcast eyes and the and the and your and the very wide peripheral vision, if you can just let your eyes settle there, there's this there's this you know like really kind of surprisingly vast visual field that can just 
arrive moment by moment in um, in your you know at, at in your visual cortex basically and the the request is to to enact that in such a way that your your gaze is completely relaxed but but completely comprehensive so and the model for it like i said is called, it's called gazing at distant maps it's as though you're looking through taking in as much as you possibly can of a mountain range that's way far away on the horizon right um and so those those techniques are esoteric in the sense that nobody teaches them in zazen instruction <laughs> they're like um buried in some scripture or something they're 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 buried mostly in instructions that are passed down from teacher to student and then every now and again Somebody will write a write a book with a few of them, but but basically, it it stuff is passed down from from teacher to student, um, and they're and they're quite specific, right? Um, there's another one that has to do with the with the breath. This is this is actually um, um, sort of I think I'm not sure where it's from, but my guess is that it's related to. Um, tai Chi and Chinese martial arts, but that your your breath actually should be experienced as a as a wheel that comes through the middle of your body, and when you breathe out, it's the forward part of the wheel that that you know essentially turns into your hara, and when you breathe in, it's the it's the back back leg of the wheel which comes up your spine and and lands kind of at your at the at the forward crown of your head, right? And so you and and um so you you breathe in that way as a as a kind of visualization, right? So um and and again, you know, as you, you do that, the uh, the effort and attention that's required to do that sort of settles slowly and then finally it would be hard to say who's making the effort, right? Um but there, you know, there's another example. Uh, Zach, right now in your daily sits, what? I mean, not, how are you focusing your effort? I guess is not. The, I don't know if that's the right term, but yeah, what, no, that's, what that's, that's a good question. What What I'm working on is this, right? So I I've long been working on on the on my personal cycle of attention. I mean, I think everybody has a cycle of attention, right? Mine has a particular length and quality and, and so on. And, it, and some of the things about its quality depend on um, uh, how, how agitated I am or how much sleep I got last night and all the rest of that. But, um, but basically it's, it's pretty familiar to me now. And um, what I, what I noticed over time was that, there, there are there are subtle ways in still in which I still emphasize kind of engagement with the absolute over um, over you know self narration and thinking right so that's that's one and and I, so one of the one of the activities I I work with is 
noticing when that preference arises and uh you know letting it go right so that's one and then the other one has to do with um with noticing the the way in which I don't know the, the the way in which my my image of um, my i my idea of what my in, my inner life is like is actually distorted by my by desire to 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 construct a, a, a sort of unitary um, continuous narrative of self and actually the the truth is the the more the more I pay attention the more I notice that actually that the the you know the mode of self-construction self-narration and emotionally driven engagement is it's always present with this mode of kind of unloaded broad receptive attention and it's and uh and and that other mode is is there right alongside it in a way that you can that that you can actually stay connected with even in the middle of thinking and, and so on and so i've been trying to 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 explore the details of that relationship as intimately as I can, and it's been it's been good. Um, I, it, it's a it's a long process, but but where I am with it right now, um, it it really feels like you know you know the the promise in the Fukanza Zengi is that Zazen is the uh, it's the Dharma gate of repose and bliss, right? And I remember once asking Paul, my teacher, how is, you know, sitting on a bed of nails, making mistake after mistake after mistake, the Dharma gate of repose and bliss? And I, <laughs> I kind of forget what he said, but, um, but my experience at this point is that that most of the things that made it feel like sitting on a bed of nails, making mistake after mistake after mistake, um, settle with that when when I practice in that way. That was just something I think with uh, when I've done longer sits, like well, ten day. I think the bliss aspects come very clear um, as well as like the nightmare kind of, you know, <laughs> places that, I mean, I mean, the goal is just to have no preference of either, I guess, but that's much harder. Um, I mean, this just automatically connects me then, you know, just the connection between Zen or even meditation and psychedelics is just more and more, uh-huh apparent sometimes when you sit on long or even short sits, you know, so I'm just curious yeah. what you thought well, that. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I have, I have a lot of experience with psychedelics. <laughs> um, I did, a, I did a t- 
ton of high school of, of, of acid in high school and up through um, uh, up through college and you know and less frequently because it would have to be less frequently or I wouldn't have you know been able to walk around without bumping into things and so on. But um, less frequently as I got older, but I I did a lot right and and what I remember about it is that I mean it it had all the features that people usually describe right but but what was the most compelling about it was that in the middle of all that business with uh, um, the walls flexing and um, you know patterns appearing everywhere and um, that kind of thought spinning thought spinning thought in a um, in this way that was really sort of exhilarating and and exciting. There was this the sense of of kind of an imperturbable peace, right? Um, and in some ways, that that feels like the the same trajectory um, as as sitting. And then here's the, here's the other thing. Um, Having done all that acid, when, when when I get in the middle of a of a sashin, um, you know, my eyes and ears kind of run riot. Because <laughs> um, I I don't know I don't know if that's true for everybody, but I always assumed it was because I I had I was predisposed to it by by doing all that acid. But uh, you know, like uh, be walking skin in behind somebody and they're um, their garment will will take on some sort of elaborate pattern and sort of you know flex and and wave around and so on and so forth. So that that also is you know kind of fun. But it, but um, but mainly it's that sense of being um, settled and quiet and imperturbable in the midst of of all this activity, right? The, that what was the was the crux of it, um, and and you know, and I'm I I think um, it's great that that experience is that experience is available, um, you know, and and I the the good news about. Um, the monastic living is that um, that if you you know if you wig out then uh, then usually there are some people that you know lead you, take you by the hand and lead you your your room. <laughs> um, whereas when I was um, uh, doing when I was tripping, except for the first time when my parents gave it to me, right? When, when I was tripping in high school and college, there was it was um, not always clear there was somebody there to take you by the hand and lead you. No, I think that's one of the reasons why the being part of the sangha is so important. Because if you do have yeah. a negative, you know, dark night experience, yeah. there's at least a vessel to help contain it. I just wonder if yeah. you've had any thoughts about the dangers of meditation. I mean, the same as the dangers yeah. of psychedelics. 
you have yeah, to I mean, I so I mean, I've had I've had some I've had some very dark nighty experiences um, while sitting. I did a sashimi a number of years ago now, where I went into it with a kind of athleticism, working with with a particular kind of breath technique, um, and um, and I also um, which I, I took on this practice where I would only, you know, the eating is very formal and you're, you don't take food ever. You're just, you're served food. And I, I, I had this practice where I was eating only the, the first scoop of each of the three bowls that were put in front of me. So that someone, regardless of the size of the first scoop, even if they only managed to get, you know, a couple of cashews in my bowl, I'd bow and that would be it. Right. And, you know, all that seemed fine at the beginning, and and actually it was pretty marvelous for the first few days. And then, like after um, like day four or something like that, it was like somebody flipped a switch in my head, and and I was in this just you know kind of horrific huge day. <laughs> I was having having really disturbingly violent and awful images arise in my head, and I felt it very agitated emotionally and really just, just awful. Um, and, um, and I think that's, I think that's a danger. I think it's possible. It's possible to, to overdo it. Uh, I, my take on what happened to me was that I was starved and, and basically I was, I was the breath thing I was doing was to, was to breathe out and then rest in the place that, that um, your body makes at the bottom of the breath until my diaphragm specifically told me that it was time to breathe in. And and if you do that for a while, you can have these long pauses where you're essentially not breathing, right? Um, and it's and it's always tempting. There's a little tiny temptation to stretch it out just a little bit longer, right? And so, and I kind of you know felt played it out a little bit as well. And so after a while, I was. I, you know, I didn't, I was really not getting enough air. Um, and, and it was, um, it was difficult and it took several days to work itself out. I, I, I was like, okay, for the rest of the fishing, I'm going to just breathe however I want and I'm going to eat a lot. <laughs> and, um, and it actually made a tremendous amount of difference. I, I, by the end of the end of the time, I, I felt exhausted. Like I'd, you know, swum, the English channel or something like that, but I, but I felt good. And, um, and then I, but then I had this, um, experience lurking in memory that was actually quite, quite just, it was really very, very hard actually. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a, right. I think you have, I think it's good to be careful. It's good to, um, uh, to, to know, I mean, the, the, you know, the bodhisattva about the delusions are inexhaustible. It's easy to trick yourself into doing stuff that's not that good for you. <laughs> even, even in the context of something as, as well-defined as a, um, as a Zen machine, right? Well, I think the response I've heard from people about that usually is that it's like the same as if you went to the gym and, you know, tried to bench press 400 pounds versus whatever, you know, 100 pounds, you're going to get hurt. So the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Meditation, get to know your limits and and be yeah. stretched appropriately or whatnot. 
Yeah, you know? No, I think that's exactly right. One of the or, things I, you know, you know, in Japan there was the gas attacks in the nineties, nineteen ninety five, the Um Shinriko, mm -hmm. and they were yeah. kind of a new age cult that had some, you know, the cult leader. The one yeah. danger with these kind of very intense practices is that sometimes it leads to the ability to manipulate people. Um, yeah. Because it breaks down their ego and uh, you can then kind of insert other elements into the ego. How did you maintain a kind of positive relationship with your teachers and elders or mm -hmm. song? Yeah. So avoid yeah, that. I mean, <laughs> you know, or what should yeah, be people think, looking for to avoid, uh, you know, Asahara as their guru? Yeah, I, I think that, I think that it's a, it's a, I think it's a problem that it's not exactly inevitable, but I think it, I think it showed up in, in enough places in the world, certainly, certainly in the West, you know, certainly obviously in the West, but it, but, you know, you read the poetry of EQ, all of, all of that same stuff is, is, as attested in, in his poetry, right? Both the, the way in which, um, uh, practice can become, a formal and stuffy or or um or um like you know it can become a pursuit of riches you know because the one of the one of eq's objections to the to his fellows at daitokuji was that they were all they were all you know like pursuing rich donors so they could they could get um you know nicer robes and, and and so on and so forth, right? So there is God, and then also his his you know his kind of you know binging on you know sex and alcohol and 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 so on and all you know just right out in front in his poetry, all of that stuff is there. Right? Um, I, I the 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 required humility is 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 there right up front, right in the in the Bodhisattva vow, right? If you say if it says delusions are inexhaustible. And what that means is that wherever you are, you you, you should check yourself, right? Um and you and you should stay close to the the momentary particulars in a way that that um that softens and aerate fixed ideas and and so on because otherwise it's really easy to get attached to stuff absolutely right and you know the famously so when when you know my my teacher was baker roshi's student right um and what he says is that when when he finally got a chance to talk to uh his, his teacher about his kind of impropriety um uh you know Baker said, you know, the only reason why you think any of that stuff is wrong is because you're not enlightened, basically, which is fundamentally delusion, right? Now, to be fair to Richard Baker, Mr. Richard Baker is way different now. 
And I, I think he, in the end, learned a lot from that whole experience, and he's been tremendously helpful to a lot of people. But that really, that really was a problem, and it it caused a you know a huge disruption in the lives of a bunch of people that that shouldn't that didn't deserve to have that disruption, and um, and it practically you know killed off in some ways. Um, that then practice release in that part of the world, which would have been kind of tragic. So my my sense is what I look for is humility and simplicity and um and a kind of holding self concern lightly, right? And you know, the problem is that Often people who are go-getters, like like Baker was, and he did a marvelous thing setting up Den Center. Right, he really did. He was he was great. Right, but the 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 problem is that it's easy for them to not hold self-concern lightly because they've gotten to where they are and they've become the person they are by emphasizing self-concern. Right, so. It's it's good to it's good to check each other. It's good to uh, check yourself, and it's good to stay close to the kind of humility that is inherent in your past, basically. So, what should pupils then be looking for? That same hum- humility and simplicity. Then is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, and uh, yeah, humility and simplicity, and a and a willingness to both question themselves and be questioned by others. Right? Um, if, if, uh, if, if, if you don't see that, then yeah. look somewhere else. Got it. Yeah. So maybe one of my last questions, uh, Zach, then is in terms of a parent, then how does that play into how you parent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parenting is, uh, parenting is a, is a, it's a stupendous field for practice. <laughs> I mean, it's it's got everything, right? It's got um, it's got uh, it's got formal activity, uh, and which changes over time. But but you know, initially it's you know changing diapers and and uh, and um, you know giving baths and all the rest of that sort of thing. And then over time, it um, it graduates into you know. Uh, you know, picking your daughter up from school and 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 taking her to um, with it like that. But um, but but it's got plenty of plenty of, of work that you can dedicate yourself to in the way that 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 work is fruitful, right? And it has it also has um, it's this marvelous opportunity to to become really close to another being in the middle of their development into a, into a, into a, you know, full-fledged human with all of the, the aspects of humanity that we're familiar with, including the uh, predilection for suffering and, um, and, um, you know, the creation of, of difficulty for themselves and so on, and so to 
to really take it as um, as as a an important place to first of all learn about that because you you really learn about it if you watch right because you know no, even if you have a great memory nobody really remembers what it was like to um, to learn how to suffer and to learn how to um, like I remember my my now adult daughter not not one of my the kids I'm currently living with, but my daughter that's now a college professor at UT, um, talking to her on the phone one day when she was like two, maybe not even, but in any case, something like that. And she said, you know, Dad, I just discovered that I can talk to myself without talking out loud. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and, and, um, and then it goes, it goes out of downhill without the from there, from, you know, depending on how you look at it, right? But you, you can observe the way that there, that that self comes into being in the way that, that all of the Buddhist literature talks about it with, uh, you know, complete with the grasping and, and aversion, complete with the self-reification and self-narration, complete with the, um, with the twelfth chain of causation and everything else, right? You can you can watch it happen, and that is that is a powerful lesson, right? And then you can help, right? So that's good. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I have a daughter. You remember, and uh, yeah, every day I know. it's a fun, entertaining experience. So now she's. Yeah, totally. I can definitely see her mind becoming more self-aware so that's interesting to think about how Anyways, old uh, is she now? she's uh three and a half she's she's going to she loves her school and right i wish uh i mean hopefully the COVID stuff ends. i mean here in hawaii we're kind of in the last we're like one of those islands where the you know the japanese people still think world war ii is going on uh the number of rules we have is just endless but uh mm. ho- hopefully um you know, she's very lucky. She doesn't have to wear a mask at her school, and uh, at least she has that. And you know, we're hopefully, you know, here in Hawaii is very, you know, we have such a strong community, and it's just so different than the mainland. I don't know if we could have survived being in the mainland, honestly, for the last two years. But I mean, I think SF's doing better. You know what I mean? So, from what I hear from my yeah. friends, SF's, SF's doing okay. But I mean, I I think that. Um, uh, I think the the care that that Hawaii has been taking is probably good, and the only the only issue that I ran across, I mean, so we were we were in the Big Island early on in the in you know in in the summer. The issue that I ran across is a bunch of people. I think quite correctly were going. Hey, things are still not totally solid here. Why are we all of a sudden trying to ramp up the tourist industry really hard, right? And I, I thought that seemed like a reasonable debate to have, right? I mean, yeah. No, it's a very complicated debate because then you know I went to Florida in July, yeah, which is the other side of the coin with no rules, and then it's just fascinating to see the differences. And it's funny because now they about they have about the same amount of cases and the same amount of people per population in the hospital. So one's fully closed and one's fully open. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you do the balance of the mental health and the economic issue, it's a very complex balance. But here in Hawaii, I think most people are very favorable to the restrictions. Yeah. So each place, that. you know, I kind of believe in federalism where people kind of choose what they want. So here, I think most people are very content with the rules and more rules, you know what I mean? So, yeah, but it's fine. You know, I'm just, my only concern is just children to see what term issues are. But, you know, I mean, for me, the funny thing is some of the, um, I'm just happy the Zen temples open because they were closed forever. And they, even though it's all outdoors and Lanai and they just were very, very nervous. You know, especially well, they have older people who sit there. So I sure, can... yeah, and they're 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 a they're a um, a resident um, a con- conjugate resident facility. That's a that was the you know the kind of strictest um, uh, set of guidelines um, at least set down by the state of California around around COVID. So I can understand how that's an issue. I, I just on on that. Front. I am going to be sitting in person at Zen Center uh, one day, sitting on the sixth of November. So that, um, so that's that's where they're at, which is pretty nice, actually. It's great. Oh, they, have they been? So, cl- they're finally reopening, or they're they're finally reopening. I mean, I get to come in because I'm a um, non-resident mm-hmm. senior priest, but the, but they also have a a group of commuters for the current and present practice period, and they're inviting in all the the commuters for the, um, both for the, um, one day sitting this coming month and also probably for the Sashin next month. So that's kind of amazing, right? So, so that, that's pretty open. They still mm-hmm. haven't started up a regular Saturday program, but they're, they're working on it. Okay. I just wonder as a religious kind of person, do you feel like some of the freedoms were kind of infringed on? Mm, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a complicated thing. I mean, obviously I understand why they're trying to take care of their residents, right? They, 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 you know, they have a lot of, a lot of people living there who would, who, if they got COVID or even a, a breakthrough case after, after the vaccine, um, they they could very well get you know, severely ill or die, right? So that that's that's not very good, right? But I I think the but that was a decision think, by themselves, right? Not from the state, or was it that's, from the state? That's correct. Yeah, that, I mean, I I think the um, in terms of the state, I I guess I mean I never felt. Um, excessively um restricted by the state guidelines i mean there are a few i there are a few of them i probably broke a little bit like i i went on i went i i I chose the pandemic to do a whole bunch of of really long distance solo bike riding um so i hardly had talked to anybody right but uh it was like extreme social distancing but i didn't stay out right so that was that maybe that was a maybe that was kind of Banning the rules or something, but um, but I'm not a I'm not a you know, I'm not a small business owner. I, I don't and I'm not a I'm not somebody who um, livelihood and the livelihood of my employees depends on 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 my making money. And that I I I talked to a bunch of people. I met a guy um, early on in the pandemic in in um, 
El Dorado County who ran a whitewater rafting thing. And he was really struggling. And he was, he was a great guy and had like incredibly kind of positive, um, outlook and, and really, you know, his heart was completely in the right place and so on and so forth. But he was really having a hard time. And I, and I, my guess is that the state, if, if they had the, the energy foresight and, willingness to do it could have done a much better job of calibrating the rules for, you know, to make them less, um, owners for people like that, basically. So, yeah, so I think it was, I think it was difficult, but I, I, um, I think he, he and a bunch of other small business owners felt like they were being unnecessarily, um, um, restricted, um, you know, in spite of their willingness to, to, you know, take cautionary measures and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, by comparison, the restaurant business with North Beach, it was, things were closed for a while, but actually not that long. And that after a while, people were, were, you know, they, everybody built a park and they were dining outside. Right. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people did, did fine during the pandemic, but, um, I think uh, that the, yeah. trouble thing is that we were saying about the simplicity and humility of leaders. I think that's what frustration for the right, you know, rafting guy that you couldn't, yeah. you know, they would, if you question anything, then they, you know, either label you as something or not or so. Yeah, no, totally agree. Yeah. It, it's a very challenging time. And I think, yeah, we're lucky maybe if we work from home or have certain skills, uh, you know, we'll see in 10 years what the, <laughs> the counting, the true costs are of the pros and cons, yeah. you know, you will see. Yeah. But it's funny yeah. though, because I mean, in the last year I became probably more inclined to lean towards individualist freedom in making mm-hmm. choices because when you start, you know, there's this Japanese book called one straw revolution mm-hmm. and yeah. it's about gardening. I don't, have you heard of it? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, we have a kind of a ego that we think we can control nature, but in the end, it's just so beyond our grasp. It, it, you know what I mean? It almost seems so it's the same with the virus and, you know, we can yeah. try and control it, but it's, it's like the weeds. It eventually will just come through. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, that's the, that is the, um, that's one of the primary features of the human condition. We have this, this dream of understanding and control that's, that's, that's utterly delusive. Right. Um, and it's, and it's not, you might think that's sad, but actually it's not sad. It's just, it's just something it's like it's because nature is magnificently more um complicated and ungraspable than than we usually give it credit for um but yeah totally agree and 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 it's a it's an occasion for humility and um and simplicity right um so Anyway, Zach, I really appreciate your time. I I, I want to. Yeah. Oh, one last question. <laughs> uh, I was going to say I was going to send the meta, but you know, Zen doesn't really have that. It seems like, but I'm, that's the one other thing I really love about kind of the Vipassana school. I mm-hmm. haven't practiced, but do you have any thoughts, or is there any kind of Zen meta? Well, I mean, San Francisco San Francisco Zen Center regularly chants the Meta Sutta, right? Um, 
and and I and and Meta practice has has at least in the San Francisco Zen Center tradition has kind of gotten adopted as a as a um, valuable valuable practice and um and kind of object for for practice both sitting and also standing and walking right so yeah i'm i'm a um i'm a firm believer in in meta <laughs> great well i want to send you and your family and all of san francisco a lot of uh meta i'll sit next and try to sing oh, awesome. how's it cool Wonderful. Yeah, that's marvelous. And, and I hope it was helpful. And I, and, and, and thank you so much for, for thinking of it and for offering the opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. So. No, I could ask you hundreds of questions more. I think it's a whole, you know, it's an endless practice, a life practice. So it is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> great. Thanks so much, Jack. Have a nice day. Bye. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye.